Hello and welcome to Over the Edge. This episode features an interview between Matt Trafiro and Dahlia Adib, Director of Consulting at STL Partners. In her role, she manages and leads teams to help telcos and their technology partners evaluate new opportunities. Dahlia founded the Edge Computing Practice at STL Partners in 2019, which included building their own proposition in the space and establishing the company as a leading advisor for those looking to grow business opportunities in the edge computing ecosystem. In this episode, Dahlia explains what telecoms are doing to expand service through the edge. She defines and outlines where the edge is and what it is doing to help enable companies to navigate the digital transformation. Dahlia also talks about how organizations are thinking about the edge and what might be some of the best future use cases for its implementation. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsors. Over the Edge is brought to you by Dell Technologies to unlock the potential of your infrastructure with edge solutions. From hardware and software to data and operations across your entire multi-cloud environment, we're here to help you simplify your edge so you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting Dell.com for more information or click on the link in the show notes. Two years ago, when I started the Over the Edge podcast, it was all about edge computing. That's all anybody could talk about. But since then, I've realized the edge is part of a much larger revolution. That's why I'm pretty proud to be one of the founding leaders of a nonprofit organization called the Open Grid Alliance, or OGA. The OGA is all about incorporating the best of edge technologies across the entire spectrum of connectivity, from the centralized data center to the end-user devices. The Open Grid will span the globe, and it will improve the performance and economics of new services like private 5G and smart retail. If you want to be part of the Open Grid movement, I suggest you start at opengridalliance.org, where you can download the original Open Grid manifesto and learn about the organization's recent projects and activities, including the launch of its first innovation zone in Las Vegas, Nevada. And now, please enjoy this interview between Matt Trefiro and Dahlia Adib, Director of Consulting at STL Partners. Hi, Dolly. I've really been looking forward to this interview. One of the things that interests me the most is, you know, if you think back to your, I don't know, your childhood or whenever it was that you became first interested in technology, like what stands out? What, like, how'd you first get into technology? That's an interesting one. And it's, it always sounds like an interview question, which I've actually never had to answer, but I was trying to think about it. I think I got into it as a teenager and, you know, back then it was the beginnings of social media and there was there was actually this platform which allowed you to create your own website i remember it was called pixo p-i-c-z-o and it was kind of a you know creative outlet sort of a predecessor of facebook place where you could you but you could essentially create your own website use html etc so i think that was the early beginnings i was one of those slightly more nerdy users who took it to its full form wanted to use all the features learn how to use photoshop all those types of things so that was probably my my first inroad into technology and back then i had no real idea of what i wanted to do but i knew i i liked the idea of using technology for creative reasons and to Mm. create you know to i guess like Probably didn't think of it that way back then, but to create an experience, to engage people in a different way. So that was the early beginnings. What you know, what I'm doing now is probably quite different. But even in my role as a consultant, I know we have a bad rep of being a bit of a PowerPoint slide machine. But we do, I think, you know, now consulting is changing and a lot of it is about how do you communicate your ideas in a new way using new platforms. So in some ways, like this is my first time thinking about it, but it is quite cool. That early beginning of what I was doing as a teenager is still manifesting itself into what I do today. That's neat. And, and what was your, your schooling like? What did you, what did you study? 
So uh, university, I didn't do anything related to technology. I did politics and economics. I didn't either. Yeah. So I, I came out of school. I mean, in the UK, I guess it's different to the US where you have to choose what you want to do probably quite early. So we have three years of university and you, you need to pick one or two subjects. Usually you don't get to do much more than that. And I was sort of like, I was okay. At, I was fairly good at maths and I liked history. And I thought politics and economics was somewhere there. And the reality was I just, I wanted to keep my options open. So yeah, I did that. Didn't, didn't do what I probably set out to do originally, which was had big ideas of going into international development and things like that, but came into technology and the consulting side and said, yeah. And, and what was your journey to STL partners? The journey to STL. So I, I went to the London school of economics and another place which can have a bad reputation of being a place where Goldman Sachs bankers are made, essentially. So going there, it was yeah, interesting environment. There were, there were some really cool people with some great friends, but there were some serious, you know, basically people who wanted to get on with their career ASAP and make a lot of money. And that's great. And that, that's, a, that's a good ambition to have. No, no judgment there. But I, I was kind of exposed, to be honest, to consulting as, a, as an industry. It was something I'd never heard of before. Mm. And how, how people described it was solve problems. You get exposure to different things. You learn about the commercial world and you learn about different industries. And often, I mean, not always with consulting, but often there's a technology side as well. So kind of thought that that sounded good and then came across STL partners in that search to find a consulting firm and what I really liked about STL is at the time and I mean still today we, we position ourselves as wanting to encourage we focus on the telecoms industry mainly I mean now it's more telecom slash tech with you know say the cloud and telecoms converging together but it was always about how can you think about the business possibilities with new technology or how telecoms operators as technology-based companies can innovate and can solve problems in other industries and other domains when i first joined there was probably more of a industry trend around consumer digital services so back then we saw the mobile operators launch you know their own digital what, what year was this roughly How long so this was is this? 2015 yeah okay. when i when i first joined and yeah mainly it was like digital apps i think back then yeah companies like telefonica some of the verizon i think i can't remember the name of it but they had the kind of video content app that they'd launched around that time and they'd, I think, either then or soon after they acquired Yahoo. So there was a lot around media and apps and how right. do you engage customers in that way. Now, I mean, we'll probably talk about it more. There's more of a shift towards enterprise and new opportunities using technology, but to kind of deliver outcomes in, in the enterprise side. But anyway, long story short, so came, came across SCL Partners. I liked the idea that it was, we were focused on technology, but still in consulting, which is what I wanted to do and wanted to solve problems, essentially. Now, STL Partners, when you think of like tech analysts like Gartner and Forrester, and STL is, is quite a bit different. I mean, it's pretty bespoke and, and, and niche. Can you help us understand like how big you are and what types of clients you, you tend to have? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we do research and consulting, and then the consulting is research-based. So there's, there's a bit of a gray area between the two anyway. We are now, I think, between 30 to 40 people. So we're, we're literally just in a- That's nice size. Yeah, a bit of a- it's a fun size. Yeah, it's, it is a, it's an interesting side because we're, we're now growing quite quickly. Touch wood, we grew quite a lot as well during the pandemic and sort of in, yeah, in that stage of scaling up quite quickly, which is cool, which is interesting. In terms of, yeah, so, I mean, 
like you say, there are big, huge analyst firms like Gartner. We, we, we A, specialize in an industry, mainly telecommunications and then some surrounding areas. We also focus on less around like core telco business models and core telco services, but really about what can communications do in other industries or how is it changing? How is the technology changing? What should... You mean like how does it affect logistics, manufacturing, healthcare? Yeah, all that stuff. And then, I mean, it's not, and also it's not, I guess it's not just telecommunications. Like I said, it's kind of telecommunications and compute and cloud and all these things are adjacent Mm -hmm. to, to connectivity. So yeah, that's us and research, like our research business subscription model. So similar to the, to the likes like Gartner you mentioned. And on the consulting side, we work with, there we do a strategy consulting. So we work with clients kind of hands-on with helping them to develop a business strategy in a particular area. And partly because of the industry we work in, it's often, oh, there's this new technology that we're you know, hearing about. What can we do about it? How do we monetize it? And we're, part of our role is trying to shift that mindset to really think about, okay, well, what's the customer problem you're trying to solve? Say, like you mentioned, like manufacturing, like what, what are they trying to do? Then think about the technology pieces. And that's quite a big shift in the industry, particularly in mobile operators can get kind of obsessed with yeah. cellular technology and you know, 5G, but really it's trying to encourage thinking about a broader solution set or portfolio of tools that telecoms operators and other technology companies should have. And those need to be tailored to meet some certain customer problem. So yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm fond of saying that enterprises don't buy edge computing. Yeah. Like it scares them, to be honest. They buy solutions to their problem. They want to buy like robotics as a service or mm-hmm. the kinds of things can be delivered with edge computing, but they don't actually they don't actually need edge computing necessarily. Yeah. So you, speaking of edge computing, you actually founded the edge practice at STL. Can you tell me a little bit about that and what the edge practice does and how you, you stand in the industry? Yeah, it's it's been a really cool, let's say, project, I guess, with the STL partners. So coming from a telecoms background, I would say this was in like two, 2017 or so, there was a lot of discussion around this idea of mobile edge computing, partly driven by network virtualization, which is essentially moving the proprietary equipment that's used to run a net telecoms network to more server-based, software-based networking. That's essentially what it does. And what that means is you have to build the facilities and the infrastructure, which are more data center-like to support those. So the telecoms, what the mobile industry was saying is, listen, we've got, we're building these they were essentially edge data center facilities. We were going to be putting in servers for our own network functions. We know that there are going to be applications that are going to need some form of edge computing. Why don't we play a role in, in kind of seeding that market and in, in being part of that market and essentially using some of those facilities and the infrastructure for other applications like robotics as a service or cloud gaming or whatever it might be. So it was originated with mobile edge computing and what we were hearing from our clients that like questions like what are the use cases for that? Why would enterprise or a, you know, even a, an app developer, ISV, a cloud gaming developer, whomever it might be, why would they use that infrastructure? What is really the benefit? What's driving this? Like, are we trying to provide a solution to a problem? What is, what are the actual problems here? So a lot of it was around, you know, understanding use cases. And then the other thing was, you know, as a telecoms operator, how, what is our business model here? I mean, are we just going to be, I mean, not just, but are we going to be a sort of an edge co-location data center provider 
or can we do more? Can we, can we really play a role? And how does that change with 5G? So that was the whole beginning of the edge practice. And just to speed up the long story, maybe, we, we basically decided to formalize it. We were quite early as a research consulting company to, to really put forward some thought leadership in that space. Put, you know, We had this kind of five edge business models paper, which got a lot of traction, and then slowly did a bit more work, some of it mapping the ecosystem. And I remember talking to you guys probably three, four years ago now about where you fit in the ecosystem, that sort of thing. Then we created a research service around it called the Edge Insights Service. So that now has a market forecast around edge revenues across the value chain, different use cases, different countries and regions. We also have a forecast around those telco, the edge data sensor that I was talking about, how much capacity there'll be of that. So there's a few things. We've kind of brought that all together in the practice. Why I said it was inter- an interesting or a cool project is that it's kind of it's been a catalyst for us to also expand beyond telecoms quite a lot. So a lot of our clients mm-hmm. now are data center operators or data center businesses. Cloud, cloud providers, exactly. yeah, everybody that's looking at that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, so that's that's been really cool, yeah. As you mentioned, we've known each other for a few years and, and I started my edge journey about five years ago too. And I latched onto that, in fact, helped establish it. I created the State of the Edge, which is now yeah. a Linux Foundation project. My podcast is named Over the Edge. But I've been a little disappointed by edge computing as a term, mm-hmm. not, not, as a, not as a solution, not as a part of a solution. And I'm interested in your, your thoughts on this. A lot of entrants, when, when edge computers started to take off, a lot of companies joined in and I, they started calling what I think of as on-premises computing as edge computing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, how, how do you distinguish on-premises computing, which we've been doing for decades, out at the edge, from edge computing? Yeah, it's a good question. And just to be transparent, as a consulting firm, I feel like that is an even harder question when we have potential clients who there's a, there's a bit of a balance where you're like, I don't know if you're, you're telling us you're an edge company. I don't know if you are, but we also want to do work with you. So yeah, it's definitely a delicate balance. I think generally how we distinguish traditional, let's say data center infrastructure on, or on-premise compute with the edge is at the software layer, probably more than anything in that for it to be true edge computing, it should be using cloud native software infrastructure, things like containers. Not everything is yet container based, but it's definitely it should definitely at least not be about monolithic systems that are inflexible. So I I think that and it's I know it's not the most punchy definition, but I think that's the key differentiator between some of those traditional environments and what is true edge environment. And although I think as an industry, and we're not there yet, but the real benefit or the where it, edge becomes interesting is when it becomes really dynamic in that, you know, we'll have distributed environments where workloads and things can move across each other. And, and again, that, that will further emphasize what is true edge and what is just simply a, a static form of compute or some, you know, yeah, basically some static compute with a application dedicated to it in a, an edge-like uh, location. Looking at its continuum is actually a pretty good answer. One of, one of my colleagues actually said that the difference is, in, in, in his mind, was the control plane extends back to the cloud, mm-hmm. which I think is, is a partial good answer. But you know, the one that, that I've actually stumbled upon, which comes back to your original point, which is like what enterprises want. And that is the, the edge is the ability to deliver performance and security of on-premise workloads with cloud economics mm. and as a service mm. with flexibility. Yep. And because that, because that doesn't, it gets away from the technology and really gets away, like, doesn't matter where the workload runs as much as it runs in a way that the enterprise can think about it differently. Mm-hmm. And I'm becoming fond of that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's, that's at least where I've gotten I think, in my evolution. I think that is that, 
That's sort of what I was trying to say, but you put it much in a much better way because I think that's right. That you know what I was talking about with cloud native. Okay, those are the tools that will enable flex. I think it's the technology. That's right. You can move containers around, and yeah, that's right. Yeah, technological flexibility, yeah. but commercial flexibility. So I mean, what we always hear from enterprises is they don't want to be locked in. They don't want you know vendor lock in or even technological lock in, and it's all these sort of business drivers that are lending themselves to edge essentially. Yeah. So you mentioned that in the early days when you first started the practice, the telcos were trying to figure out, are we going to build edge data centers? Are we going to be data pipes? Are we going to be a combination of both these? Are we going to be cloud companies? What are we going to be? What, what are you seeing? Like I'm, I'm seeing companies really establish themselves by planting poles in this market. And my knowledge is mostly US-based. Mm-hmm. And I know you're based in the UK. And so I imagine a lot of your business is, is more global than, than my knowledge. What, what are you seeing? Like where, where are the big like flag planting? Where's that happening? Yeah, with with telecoms operators specifically, you're saying? With Edge, yeah, yeah, telecoms operators specifically. Yeah, I think, so one thing that's definitely materialized is there's, there's, I mean, they they think about Edge in two domains. There's kind of, we call it network Edge, but it's the these data centers that they own. And then there's the kind of the on-prem Edge, which is, quite fragmented because you you can go from like enterprise CP boxes, which are running like network services, firewalls, SD-WAN, et cetera, adding some more compute to them and they become a, a form of edge compute. Or you've got what's happening with mobile private networks and edge again, like using essentially like a few servers to run a private mobile network for a enterprise. And then you, you can run some applications there too. And then you've got the on-prem edge kind of data centers and, and small configurations as well. So I think Telecoms operators are still figuring out their role. One thing that they are doing, though, whether it's with Edge or different services, is that they, they want they're trying to become more digital solution providers in general. I think you know what we've seen with connectivity is that in a lot of markets, their their revenues are in decline. Like where as consumers, we're getting bigger and bigger. Like I don't know about you, but I've got a 100 gig data bundle per month, and I pay the same amount as I did on my mobile subscription, I mean, as I did like a year ago. So, you know, it's difficult for them. They're investing their network and they're not, they're not able to monetize it in that way. So they're looking at, okay, what kind of services do we bring? And I think they've, and I mentioned at the beginning, they've tried different things. They've tried sort of all sorts of things, media, gaming, manufacturing. A lot of them are trying to double down on a few areas, mainly based on like what their markets are. So, I mean, in the US, huge market for a lot of things, but it's, you know, definitely a huge market for, say, for manufacturing. Can, can, you, can you talk about some specific examples yeah. where, where you're, yeah, like... Yeah, sure. Please. So, well, I mean, one closer to home is Vodafone. They're doing... What they've tried to do is bring all their bits and pieces, let's say, in the enterprise business together. So they've got some IoT they've been doing for a number of years. They've got some, they've got edge computing. They've got this kind of private 5G network. They call it mobile private network offering and, you know, general connectivity stuff. And they, what they realize is, okay, there's a, there's an opportunity in some of our, in Europe around manufacturing and they've got, they're trying to develop a sort of like digital manufacturing offering. And it will, what's, what's so, what's really different is that they're including applications. So they, you know, be kind of like video analytics, computer vision applications, totally different to their core business. And in most cases, they, they're working, they're partnering with software developers who are specialists to do that. But the idea is that they want to be able to bring that end-to-end solution to their enterprise customers and really change so they're their almost becoming they're almost becoming system integrators in a way. Yeah, and this is, to us, like, this is the debate because they're, they're sort of like, we, we want to be the solution provider. We don't have the skills in-house to be the, the, like, the end-to-end systems integrator. So they're also partnering mm. with the systems integrators to actually deliver it. So they think, I mean, there's, 
this is one of the debates, but it's like sort of what, who leads that, who leads the interaction with the enterprise. And in some yeah. cases it's, it's for whatever reason, more appropriate for an SI if they've, if they've got the relationship and then the telco's role is more bringing that, bringing the solution. In other cases, it might be the telco leads the role and they, then they will need to have a consultative they have a sort of consultative role to play, but they still need an SI because, you know, like just bring it to life. I mean, not speaking for Vodafone, but if you take a Vodafone like digital manufacturing solution, so say something like video analytics, it might be running on at an edge in a factory and it's being used to spot defects on an assembly line, for example. You'll need, when, when that happens, you probably need an alarm that links in with the production line to stop it, for example. So there's, like, there's some systems integration that needs to happen there or needs to integrate into the, the SCADA system or whatever it might be. So, and that's not and not to put Vodafone on the spot, but it's not a telecoms operator's bread and butter. Okay. So it's all, it's all around partnerships. So they're trying to do more. They're trying to build solutions, develop solutions with partners, play a different role. And I think that's with traditional enterprise. It's also with, you know, with things like gaming as well, slightly different model, but it's how do we work with gaming developers to create something different in the US? I think an interesting example is Verizon with events as well. So they've set up an events kind of business now that's like targeting events and stadiums to be delivering edge compute 5G solutions to specific verticals. So you mean fix in a venue or like temporary set it up live for a motorcycle race that's through the streets of of Finland or something? Yeah, I mean, I think now it's probably more fixed just because of, Mm -hmm. you know, like as a starting, but definitely that's the beauty of edge computing, right? And I mean, this isn't Verizon specifically, but I've heard of a now, I know of a case study where they're working with 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 Formula One because that's those are some of the, in, the interesting use cases, right, or scenarios where you have, say, a sporting event that moves around different countries or at least different areas within the I same country. I mean, you country. could stick it all on a truck. Yeah, you really could. yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and like broadcasting news that that's really cool as well to be able to quickly. Yeah spin up the the all the, the setup that you need all the you know the video broadcasting not just the equipment but all the software you need as well have it close to where the broadcaster is also i think one of the things these edge compute applications does is means you don't need a team of specialists who have to set things up it's really about trying to make it software driven so those are the types of things that yeah telcos and others are, tr- are trying to do in in events and stadiums i've also i don't know about you and i to us i don't know the specificities but one of the key let's say like verticals that's getting a lot of traction with edge seems to be casinos as well in the u.s so i mean they've got a lot of video i mean we have a huge installation in las vegas and yes the hospitality and entertainment in in there is a lot of cameras in use exactly (laughs) a lot of opportunities for video inferencing and they don't want to have data centers on their hotel property yeah yeah and probably like the fact that it's like vegas is is a good example because it's so you know, it's like so congested, so many things. You want to be used, using shared infrastructure as much, much as possible. Doesn't make sense for each venue to have its own thing. So yeah, some interesting stuff. But back to telco. So I think that that's something interesting that they're doing. Plus, they are exploring sort of infrastructure as a service model, so more like typical cloud, like things you'd expect from AWS, Microsoft. They're doing it in partnerships. So just taking Verizon and Vodafone examples again, they've partnered with AWS to deliver this, you know, infrastructure service solution called or service called Wavelengths. We've got AT and T partnering with Microsoft. So there's a lot of these sort of like partnership, hyperscaler partnership models happening as well, where both parties are taking it to market together. Yeah, I think you know it's interesting. Like, yeah, you know, when we, we when I started my journey, I think there was this 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 a huge amount of fear mm. in in the telecom world about what the cloud providers are going to do. And I'm sure that still exists, especially like Amazon announcing, you know, their private 5G service. But 
if you think about it, every time the telcos have tried to go into a broad cloud business, they've gotten their clocks cleaned. And that's because the developers are already working with the three big cloud providers. And if you want the richest pool of applications, that's where you're going to find them. You're going to find the developers that are writing for the existing cloud. And so what I'm starting to see now is, well, two things. One is service providers, I mean, the developers of the application, right, not the underlying infrastructure, are building these services on a cloud or on multi-clouds, and they want distribution. Mm -hmm. And the clouds can't give them as much distribution as the wireless providers can. And the wireless providers, as you say, are interested in, well, how do I monetize this investment I made in my network? And so what I'm starting to see is companies and sometimes even third parties that aren't a telco or a cloud are assembling these like end-to-end these end-to-end systems that can be white labeled or gray labeled by a service provider. And I think that's a that's starting to get some traction in the US because then as a Verizon or a Dish or a T-Mobile, I can offer my customers an entire portfolio mm -hmm. of services, some of which maybe I've driven to create differentiation and mm -hmm. others like I just have to provide because it's table stakes, right? Like everybody's going to want video inferencing from XYZ because they're the best. Yeah. And so rather than trying to compete against XYZ, why don't I just like bring them onto my platform? Are you, are you seeing that in other places in the world? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think that's also been a shift in the telecoms industry where let's say, you know, five to 10 years ago, the telcos, when they wanted to capitalize or capture this, these new opportunity areas, they always wanted to do everything themselves. And it's not, I mean, it's not easy to, you have to totally shift your business model. You're going into a space you don't understand. So I think that's been a real shift, which is we need to work as partners. And I think most of them do see their role as this like central point of providing digital solutions. They talk a lot about, we need to create ecosystems, and I'm sure you, you talk about this in your podcast, but like competition always comes up as a topic. You talked about the hyperscalers. I think there's still some fear uh, when it comes to, I mean, not well, rightly so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it was always like, well, Amazon, you know, the, um, yeah, um, the uh, AWS. Amazon's Netflix. buying up healthcare companies. Yeah. They may buy Dish. You know, no, I would be, there's, a, there's some existential threats there. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, well, they also, they, the telcos hear from their customers, listen, you know, we're a Microsoft house or we're an AWS house. And they also- Or we're multi-cloud, yeah, every we're enterprise. Exactly. And I think yeah. the multi-cloud thing actually is is key because that's where telcos, they want to be a neutral service provider. And it's, it's like, and it, I think it's, it's quite complicated as a model. You have to be really slick at being able to provide a service to your customers and manage all these partners, right? Because you're managing- that first there's a multi-cloud thing, which is at the infrastructure level. But then, you know, what I'm talking about is they've also got this application ecosystem now they're having to manage. And they don't have the slick marketplaces that like AWS have yet. That's where, they, that's where it should get to. Yeah. But Complicated. Yeah. I mean, we, we put together a system in Las Vegas that was an end-to-end -end video inferencing system. And there were no fewer than 21 partners involved. And everybody needs to get a little piece of money. There has mm -hmm. to be a charging system that works. It's, it's very, very complicated, which means there's a lot of opportunity, right? A lot of opportunity for people to solve these, these really interesting problems. Back on sort of the core edge computing thing, I'm wondering if you can speak to... So one of the things that, that I find a lot of confusion around are there is mobile edge computing, lowercase mobile edge computing, and then there's mobile edge computing, uppercase Etsy standard. Mm. Can you explain the difference? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, you know what? Like two years ago, we just we were like, we just cannot use the term 
I think it's mainly especially multi-axis Emmy, edge computing Emmy's, right now. It's yeah, multi-axis Emmy, edge computing. Exactly. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. So it was you know, the mobile industry came out and they were like, "Oh, listen, guys, forgot there were loads of access technologies. Let's not let's make MEC multi-axis edge tech computing." But the, so the the, tr- the thing that is really complicated is that I've noticed each telecoms operator and different parts of the industry mean it to describe different things. Yeah. So. I think in general, it does still mean mob- it is still referring to mobile edge computing, aka edge computing in these mobile, or oh, sorry, in these edge data centers designed to run the mobile network. Just because of five G being kind of a key catalyst in this, and some there are exceptions. We've got like Cox Communications in the US building, not building, but they, they they're putting an edge. They've got Cox Edge, which is a platform which runs from their own data centers and they don't have a mobile network. So it's not, you know, it's not mobile only, but mm. this concept of MEC, I think is still quite mobile driven. And yeah, and then, so then the, yeah, the challenges that telcos mean different things. So sometimes they actually refer to MEC as the kind of the, this is getting a bit technical, but there's this 5G breakout mechanism, you know, which allows you to sort of, rather than go through the, t- the whole, let's say 5G network, you can break out at a certain point. So it could be at like a customer premises, like an enterprise site, a manufacturing plant, whatever, retail shop, or it could be at the base station, for example. So sometimes it actually is not referring to compute, but, but this kind of breakout mechanism. And you've got like, for example, AT&T's MEC proposition is that, is mainly that at the moment. So they, in a lot of cases, they're not say providing compute, they're enabling edge computing, but they're not providing it. Other telcos are talking about MEC as, as referring to them providing the edge compute platform underneath. So very confusing. Then you've got the yeah. Etsy element, then you've got the Etsy layer, which is a standard, which yeah. is which drove a lot of the, let's say, innovation in the industry four or five years ago. And to be honest, and this happens with sta- especially telecoms industry standards all the time, technology moves faster than the standards do. And what we've seen is a lot of vendors and part- technology partners have started to develop their mobile edge compute solutions, which aren't necessarily in line with the standards. The idea is they want to make it as compliant as possible and kind of future-proof so that when those standards are more advanced, they, they do work to them. But there's a bit of a, there's a kind of a timeline delay. So... I think even, yeah, cap, sort of capital MEC often, yeah, definitely means different things. I think, and it, this is a challenge, and I'm sure you find it being really deep in the edge industry is it's not, it's not always easy. Like when I, whenever I speak to someone, I have to really say like, what do you, what type of edge computing are you talking about? Where is it? How big is it? It's kind of annoying. We have to like go through these precursor questions. Like, are we talking about a server? Are we talking about a data center here? Like really different environment. Right. Like, are we talking about in, yeah. in, in the network or is this a manufacturing site? Is this on the floor is this like in the back room like what's happening and i don't think to be honest we've quite like we i think there are some terms we're using more on-prem edge pretty standard but even we call it network edge that thing i described about putting edge in the mobile operators data centers sometimes it's called telco edge sometimes called distributed edge a lot of the time so yeah, if we, if we we definitely need to standardize these terms as an industry. Maybe Matt, you and I would try. And, I, I tried you with the try. open glossary of edge computing. I, I tried very hard. No. And I think I think <laughs> yeah, it is it is used, and it, I think it's also there's different ecosystems, right? Because yeah, like your the state of the edge stuff is it with the Linux Foundation Edge? Yeah, so and that obviously has a community around it. But it's a different community to say Etsy and the European telecommunications stands. That's right. That's I was right. like, guys, everyone needs to talk to one yeah. another, but it's yeah, maybe wishful thinking. 
Well, my, my personal opinion is it's all just going to become the internet, <laughs> you know, because you think about like all these technologies just collapse into this, like it just, I just get this when I need it, right? And I think eventually we're going to get there. Well, a couple of things on, on, on Mech. One of the things that seems absolutely essential to me is the ability to have an API to the RAN. And the reason for that is if developers are going to build applications that have autonomic functionality, they can self-heal, they can automatically distribute themselves, they can like restart themselves in a low carbon environment, you know, say I want to be in a low carbon routing situation, so I'm going to move myself to these other data centers and things. In order to do that and be able to deliver SLA-backed services, you have to know the status of the RAN. And that's always been a closed system. And I think one of the things that Etsy is doing is opening up the, the status to the RAN. So for the benefit of my listeners who don't know what local breakout is, let me take a stab at describing it, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. All right, so today's mobile networks, let's say LTE, the common mobile networks, and even the, five, the new 5G networks, for the most part, the wireless signal goes to the radio, comes down, and, and goes, even if it if it wants to terminate locally, like if you and I are sitting in the same room and we're using WhatsApp to talk to each other, that signal may go all the way back a thousand miles mm -hmm. to some central office or some facility where then the data is broken out, becomes IP routable, goes onto the internet, hits Facebook's WhatsApp servers, and then comes back and it has to go the whole same trip all along. Local breakout, my understanding, is that, as you say, you can, you can break that data out closer to its origin, mm -hmm. which means that then you can route it much more efficiently, especially in a local market. Like if you and I are sitting next together, like intuitively you think, oh, it goes to the radio and comes back to you. And no, that does not what happens today. And for, you know, humans interacting with WhatsApp, that's plenty fast. It's, it's 100 milliseconds, who cares, right? But for a machine that's try, trying to like send an alarm to stop the factory, 100 milliseconds may mean damage. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think, how's that as a description of local breakout? I haven't described it this way before, but that is exactly it. And it, it's kind of, I mean, the, the network is, you know, we talk about traffic as in like signals and, and packets, but it is, it is, does work in a similar way to car based traffic, vehicle traffic. And it, I mean, it's mm. kind of like, you know, when you turn the wrong, or you take the wrong exit or, you're, or you miss the exit even, and you're stuck on a road and you have to go all the way to the next junction and come round. Like you can think about the junction is almost that central office that you talked about. You know, oh you, God, you, I love that analogy. Yeah, and you, and, Cause when you, that is so frustrating, you know, yeah. you like, 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 like five more miles and turn around to meet. Yes, and that's it's, exactly and what it's, it's kind like. of like on those less constructed roads, you can just take a U-turn, you know, there's, that you don't have the barriers in between yeah. the lanes and you take, so it's kind of the, the breakout is doing that, is doing that U-turn, right? Where it makes sense too, because you just want to turn back quickly. And I think in this, you know, you're talking about those applications that need it. it the, maybe the analogy extends where the, the longer the road, the more likely congestion can make, you know, there could be things that go wrong. Like you could have a, a tree fall down, I don't know, in the middle of the road, or you can have too much traffic and it slows you down. And I think that is why, you want to shorten the route, and that's why edge computing plays a part. Because a lot of about a lot of edge computing is about shortening the route, reducing latency, aka so shortening the route from the packet or the signal, uh, the packet going from the device of origin back to where it you know needs to go. And it's the same thing, you know. And what you're trying to do is avoid having to go through, say, the whole of the 5G network or the whole of a fixed network, whatever it might be. Or even the like, internet with its best effort yeah, routing, yeah. right? Like just to be able to control, you know, not just the, the latency, the delay, but the predictability. Like how, you know, can you control a, a laser lathe 
<laughs> without knowing exactly the timing between those. And I, I think that that's the industry sort of coming around to realizing that. And that's actually what I, why I like the idea of saying that what edge computing is really becoming to me from a business solution problem is all the power in, of on-premises, all the performance of on-premises, but having to worry about the on-premises stuff because mm -hmm. you can run a laser lathe from a server that's sitting on-premises. People know how to do that. Mm -hmm. They just don't know how to do it in a way that's like from the cloud today because those that technology doesn't exist. So back in the, the heady, early, wishful thinking days of edge computing, everybody was spouting like autonomous driving, like mm -hmm. edge computing is going to be autonomous driving. Now we know where that's gone, right? Like that's not a use case for edge computing today. It may eventually be, but it's not today. Mm -hmm. We're starting to see, you mentioned casinos and video inferencing and those sorts of things. Where where are you seeing these, this kind of convergence around verticals and use cases that are are relatively near term, meaning today to, to 18 to 24 months? Yeah, um, bit, bit of a plug to my recent article, which was, I wrote this article recently, which is, you know, uh, where is money being made in the edge? And that was because we I, you know, wanted to, like, focus the mind to answer that question. And, you know, um, I know you're saying, you know, you're not disappointed about edges in industry, but maybe the term, but there are people who are disappointed of edge computing at the moment and that there was a lot of hype and it's maybe not delivered on the hype. And I think that's mm -hmm. part of it is because, say, the suppliers or the service providers of the industry were we're kind of navigating which use cases, like you were saying, there's a lot of emphasis on autonomous driving. Well, there's a lot of things that need to come together for autonomous driving to exist. So I think the first thing that's materialized is you as a technology provider can't expect to get an industry like manufacturing, I know keep bringing it up, or retail to completely change how it, like its basic business processes. So an, an example of that is like, let's say robotics in the manufacturing industry. That was a, an interesting domain for edge computing and it still is. But if you're going to take the, the smarts or the controls of a robot out of the robot itself and run it in a nearby edge compute and, and then allow it to be autonomous, there are a lot of things that have to, like the, the, industry, the manufacturing industry has really high standards when it comes to health and safety. They can't do that overnight. They need to make sure that a, a robot running from an edge can roam around freely, won't, won't bump into another robot, won't bump into a human that's working there. It'd also be about changing, you know, the production line and how it works. Because today, a lot of it, not all, in all, you know, manufacturing scenarios, but there, there is going to be people there. There are people doing tasks. You can't autonomize everything overnight. So the, I think the first thing is, you know, what are some of the low-hanging fruit when it comes to edge? And I think you were talking about, you know, how do you differentiate between edge and maybe some traditional on-prem compute? A lot of it is that, you know, flexibility, scalability. And there are some applications that um, enterprises have wanted to do, but it wasn't, you know, maybe it wasn't easy to deploy or there was a large overhead in trying to, to test it out because you'd have to maybe get specific equipment or the commercial model attached to it was, you know, let's say CapEx based. So you couldn't try it out and it wasn't as a service. You couldn't try it out and then scale it back. You really had to make a commitment up front. And when you have to make a commitment, then you have to make a big business case. So what we're seeing as some of those applications is, is stuff like video analytics. So talked about like using video analytics for kind of quality assurance mechanisms. And, you know, in some cases it's completely automating that, but even as at the short term, it's about complementing what say people are doing on the assembly line with their quality checking with a camera to do that. And it's really about rather than an like an individual human can probably check, I don't know, one 
one item at a like per five seconds or something along those lines. Whereas, you know, if you use video and, you know, real time processing, you can do dozens of products that are going through an assembly line at a time. So and honestly, that's kind of not things. a very attractive job for a human. Yeah. Like, yeah. That- I mean, now we, we we're hopefully need to create other jobs for those people and retrain them. But yeah. like sitting there watching widgets go by on the or eggs go by in the chicken factory is just like that just must be mind numbing yeah. and a really bad use of human talent <laughs> that yeah. we could exploit otherwise. So so one of my favorite use cases that hasn't really emerged yet, but I feel is is ripe is automated checkout at retail. Mm. And the, the reason I say that is retail was getting really damaged by e-commerce. And when COVID came around, that was, at least in the US, that was a big stimulus for a lot of the big box retailers to change the way they think about their product in, in their stores. Like the stores became inventory hubs. Like why can't Best Buy deliver me an MP3 storage device as fast as Amazon or faster. The Best Buy is right here. Amazon's warehouse is at the airport. And I think they've they've kind of completely revolutionized it. And and because I've gotten so used of not going into stores with COVID, now that I go into stores, I just want to pull my hair out. Like even when they have the self-checkout, like it's a long line at the self-checkout because it's a little faster than the checker, Mm -hmm. but it's still like, I have to, it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. It's really mind-knowing. At the Dallas-Fort Worth airport, which is near me, there is an automated checkout store. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know who does it and why they're doing it. But one of the things that was most remarkable to me, well, the fact that it works, that was pretty cool. But there's a camera like every two square feet on the ceiling. And there's a scale on every single item. Every th- item has has weight. So they know a combination of who you are by following on store. And they know what you're taking off mm-hmm. the shelf. And they can correlate all those things and then charge you correctly as you walk out the store. Of course, it's all stored because if you say you didn't do that, they've got it on camera. They can say, oh, yeah, well, you, you're right. You didn't, you didn't buy that $10 item. We owe you $7. And I think about like the cost of the infrastructure to, to run that thing in a store and the headache of having to manage all the all your stores that have like little servers in them, like little data centers. I mean, this isn't like a, a Windows server underneath the counter. This is like a rack of NVIDIA yeah. GPUs yeah. that have to be cooled and conditioned and, or, you know, you might have, might have you know, $100,000 of equipment there. And so one of the things that, that I see being really powerful and, and I imagine coming around, but I, I haven't actually seen it yet, is I just pick a retailer in the US. I don't know if they have it in the UK, 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. So these little like these little stores, they're maybe a thousand square feet and they're everywhere. So in a given market, a large market like Dallas or or Atlanta or something, there must be a hundred of them at least. And I can't imagine, I mean, I, I can imagine being 7-Eleven and say, gosh, look how more efficient we could make our, our experience if we did automated checkout, but look how much it's going to cost and what a headache it's going to be. And yet, if you can pull all that out into the infrastructure and deliver it as a cloud service, you get, there's all kinds of, of what makes it easier for someone like 7-Eleven potentially to buy. Because like, okay, I just hang the cameras and somebody else, I pay two bucks per day per camera or $2 per month per camera, whatever the economics end up being, somebody else is responsible for that. And it, and it scales and it, it can scale across multiple stores. You can have mm-hmm. one server that mm-hmm. serves multiple stores. So I see that as a really interesting use case. And where I wanted to take this, though, and get your opinion is what's really powerful about that, in addition, just make it easier for a customer to buy. It's the, the fact that 
you're now starting to look at sharing infrastructure. Mm. So in the case of multiple 7-Elevens, you can just share across all the 7-Elevens. But why just the 7-Elevens, right? Like, why can't you look at automated checkout as a service delivered to not just the 7-Elevens, but the AMPMs that are part of the Arco gas stations and all these like little stores, maybe even big stores too. And then there's like this, so that's, that's like one company offering all these services and that's shared infrastructure, multi-tenant infrastructure, and you get all kinds of economies from that. But also there's shared infrastructure in the kind of the neutral host sense, mm-hmm. meaning lots of lots of providers, whether they're telco providers or automated checkup providers can come and share the same infrastructure. How do you think about neutral host and shared infrastructure and the economics and what the trends are? It's, it's a really fascinating topic to me, and I, I, I haven't seen it converge yet. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's same here. Like it's it's quite, I think where I've seen, you know, where neutral host models are being picked up is really about on the, on the telecommunication side, mainly I've seen it in that, you know, if you're like, say if you're a big hotel and you want to get good coverage, they have these like distributed antenna systems. Now, sometimes they're looking at private 5G networks. And so you, and you as a hotel, you've got a bunch of different users and you've got also your hotel guests. You need to have multiple carriers supported. And that's where a neutral host infrastructure comes into play. But to us, I think that that's been around for some time. It does, I think, I haven't heard specific use cases, but there's definitely been like exploration activity of extending that. So it's sort of, if you have a neutral host infrastructure for a hotel, why not put, like a lot of them have like keyless like software-based keyless authentication stuff for the hotel rooms. You could run that mm-hmm. application on the same neutral host infrastructure. Some of the, the you know, maybe secure, video security type applications run it on there. I haven't, yeah, haven't yet seen it, to be honest, come to life, but that's, that's not because it's not happening, but just because you personally haven't come across it. But that's where it is. On the shared, let's say on the like edge data center shared infrastructure side, I mean, I guess this is, you know, where you guys play a big role. I mean, it's part of our core model. Yeah. yeah. So I think about it a lot. Yeah. But I'm interested in, in, in what you're saying. Yeah. And I think at least from what I'm seeing, I feel like, and this is this is probably a, maybe a European or UK centric view of the world, but there's more there's more investment on the supply side than there is on the demand side. So you know, even the other day we had there's a lot of these infrastructure providers. What do you, what do you mean by that? So like supply got, side, demand side. So you've, like we've had companies who are even like real real estate sort of businesses who you know are saying, oh, we've got space for edge compute or for like some you know shared infrastructure. Who's our customers? So you, it's, it's, it's that way around or it's, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, we've got, like you say, you know, I'm a, there are some businesses we've come across, like, I guess some edge compute, edge data center type businesses. And they're like, we've got some, we're going to build a, I think there was one that was building a edge compute infrastructure around the main motorway around London, the M25. And they were like, we're going to have dozens of edge compute data centers, but I'm not really sure why. So that's what I mean by by this, like the yeah, right, 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 yeah. more demand side, yeah. and that, I don't yeah. think that's the chicken and egg problem. Yeah, yeah, and that's like you know where we're at with edge in general, and I think yeah, I think it's just just a case of the demand side, aka the customers aren't aware of this as a possibility. But I like at least my feeling is that it's it's pretty early. the The other thing is that the telecoms operators. Our friends, the telecoms operators, are so on the one Stubborn. hand. Yeah, <laughs> you said it. <laughs> but, but I think it's more that they're, they're to be honest, they're trying to figure out what they do with their data center infrastructure. Because on the one hand, they want to play a role and they want to be. You know, they they feel that and they do have existing data center infrastructure. Why not mm-hmm. be the provider of services? Sure. But they also sure. have a, a balancing act to play, which is you know they want to remain a core 
service provider for their customers and you know maybe don't want to share that share some of that with their competitor with others and so in general want to you know keep their own data centers within the with under their roof i think there's some there are some in interesting models though right like with dish in the us as a mobile network operator and i think a lot of these let's say greenfield so the new mobile operators aren't necessarily building their own data centers anymore and they're using third-party infrastructure providers and that depending on how you don't get a mobile operator you know like every week a new one but but that you've got like say you've got others in other parts like even Rakuten in Japan it's a new operator they have I mean they, they have their own edge data centers but you've also got in Malaysia actually they're building their 5G network in a totally different way the government has decided and the regulators decided that they will have a shared radio access network infrastructure, which will be yeah, government owned and they will lease that to the mobile operators. And so they, but they've not built their own, at least from my understanding, they've not built their own sort of edge data center infrastructure. They're using existing compute infrastructure to do that or existing data centers to do that. So I guess what I'm saying is that from the telecoms industry perspective, there are, there are, we're already starting to see demand for shared infrastructure because you know the, the ones i mentioned dish um dnb the one in malaysia etc they're using shared infrastructure already today it's just a case of you know how quickly will some of those incumbents will, or will those incumbents be open to using shared infrastructure they may as they may well do as they start to distribute their 5g network so they'll need more basically more edge data center infrastructure to run their network and they'll basically they'll have to make a decision of is it more cost effective for us to build our own network of data centers or should we use others? And that I think will drive some of the shared, the demand for shared infrastructure. Yeah, it's, I mean, and I've bet a, a business on this, so I believe it's inevitable. And you're right, I think it is more of a timing thing, but the economics are so compelling, especially you look at like densifying to millimeter wave in tier two, tier three and tier four cities, right? Like like the math just doesn't work to have every carrier do that. Like it just, it just, it's broken. Like you, they don't have enough money. There just isn't enough money to do it. Maybe in some other countries where it's government run or monopoly or something, you, you can do that. But I, I don't see it being done without, without shared infrastructure. The tier one cities, I think every, the, all the carriers want to build it out because they want to run that network and, and all that. Um, I, think, I heard an interesting story. Yeah. I heard an interesting story. So one of our investors is Crown Castle, which in the U.S. is you know, one of the largest mm -hmm. owners of, of towers mm -hmm. that, that shared it. And one of our board members is is an old Crown Castle used was that back then in the early days. And he said, look, in the early days, all the carriers wanted to get these towers off their balance sheet. Yeah. So we bought them all up. Yeah. But when we took a Verizon tower into an AT&T meeting and said, hey, why don't you put your radio up here? They'd be like, over my dead body, am I going to put an AT&T radio in a Verizon tower? And the guys at Verizon say the same thing about the AT&T towers. And it took a, took a little bit of time. And then the CFO said, <laughs> start using those shared towers because it – we can get to market 30% faster and it's a third the cost. Like, why would we do it? So I, I, I sort of suspect, I mean, we already have shared infrastructure. We have shared towers. We have shared cloud computers. We have shared fiber. So I, I do think it's, it's inevitable and I think it's going to be economics to drive it. I'm interested if you. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, I think you're like, you're right. There's a timing dynamic where today, I mean, like if you, you know, we talked about, yeah, the central offices or like the telecoms core data centers, I mean, you've got some big countries like the US and China, but the vast majority of countries, they'll have a handful of those data centers, they're the large data centers running the brains of the network. And now they're building edgier data centers, but it'll be, you know, it's kind of in the, in the range of like maybe 
definitely under 50, maybe between 10 and 20. And what we're seeing is of those that are being used for this, you know, the mobile edge compute um, concept we were talking about, it is really a handful. It's like, you know, between four and 10 in, mo in a lot of markets. So mm. it's more of a case they've not got to a stage where they've, they need more capacity, but there's things like this move towards virtualized RAN or open RAN, which is again, moving mm. the radio access network, which is really distributed. It's basically like the base stations, the towers that you talk about and needing some server, like some compute infrastructure at those. And I think that once that really kicks off and most operators are kind of in exploration mode right now, some are doing proof of concepts, yeah. the technology is being proved out, but once that gets going that will be a, you know, a real driver for that for the need probably for for shared infrastructure yeah I, I i think i agree with that i think i agree with that so let's looking out to the future right mm -hmm. one of the ways i i like to provoke a, an answer which is interesting is okay imagine like you're godlike right and you can look out at all of the things that are blocking or slowing down this evolution towards like all these edge compute cases that we've talked about and imagined and know would be useful Right. I mean, uh, medical imaging as a service like at the edge makes a lot of sense, mm -hmm. but it's not happened yet. If you could like nudge one or two of the blockers, what, what, which ones would you would you push? Whoa, that's a, <laughs> that's a hard question. OK, well, it's, give me give me an example. What do you mean by a blocker? Oh, OK. Like a telco who's stubborn, the old way of doing things. Mm. OK. Or there is no large investment in shared infrastructure, and until there is, nobody's going to use it. Or standards, or I mean, I don't or open source. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm just interested. Like, if there's any, if there's any like something that you think is slowing the industry down to their own detriment yep. because of just the they're not talking to each other, or they're not. Is there anything you see? And it's okay to say you don't see anything. I mean, this is like futurology. No, stuff. I mean, like I do see things, but they're probably a bit boring. But I'm going to say them anyway. So I think the first Please. thing is we. There aren't that many, this is telco view of the world, but there's the, the, the telcos sort of come to us and they say, oh, we don't, where's the money in edge? What's happening? And what I always say is, well, where are the edge data centers? Like, why would a developer go out of its way to create an application that's distributed when they're, I mean, even a year ago, there were like, if you, if you look at the telcos who are building edges in the, in the US, I think, and I don't quote me on this, but like Verizon probably had around 10 nodes Cox had a few, I think Lumen had a few. In other countries, it was, you know, it's probably a handful that are generally available. So you, you sort of have to think like, what, but what, on what infrastructure, like how am I as a developer going to scale my application when it's only going to work in a few cities? So I think that's one thing which is, and it is, it's taking a risk, right? Because, and it's this whole chicken and egg thing, but there just needs to be more edge infrastructure out there. Otherwise we're going to be stuck with the, either the chicken or the egg, whichever way you look at it. So they that's venture that's capitalists pay attention. <laughs> yeah, just like pop some more money, guys. And I think the second thing, and I actually wanted to pick your brains about this, not to become not for the interview to come <laughs> the interviewer, but you know, you said at the beginning about enterprises don't buy edge computing, and right. I'm not sure what the nudge is, but we, I think, you know, as like service providers, you've got to figure out what is what you know what is. Oh, the I language. know what the nudge is. I, I yeah. So this is this, and this has taken me a while to get here, mm. but just identify what customers are doing on-premises today. So many, many enterprises have started their cloud journey and they've moved as many workloads as they can to the cloud. But there's a set of workloads that are locked on the premises because it, you can't do it from the cloud today. Mm -hmm. And so if a service provider or a cloud provider or something can unlock those workloads and get them out of the enterprise and 
turn them into managed cloud services, that that, that is very attractive to the enterprise. Two reasons. One, it reduces their CapEx spend. It gives them a ton of flexibility and scalability, and it becomes a consumption-based model potentially, which is all very interesting to the enterprise. Look at what customers are already paying for today, like what they're already buying, what they already need, and what they, and then what they want to get rid of mm-hmm. and not have, but they feel they have to have it on-premises for performance or security or other things. And those workloads are everywhere. Like that is a that is a really really attractive model, and the enterprises know how to buy it. Like they they know how to buy video management for their security system. Yeah, they just don't can't buy it the way they want to, yeah. which is as a service. And I'm just picking that as one example. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. I mean, the reason it was interesting to hear from you is because like it's almost. I feel like the biggest challenge is in marketing. Like as a marketeer, and you're trying to mm-hmm. you know you're trying to get interest from all these industries. How do you do that in a scalable way? And I think you're right. There are some things that are common. It's like, how do you, maybe it is about how do you move those applications that are stuck on premises of how can you move to the cloud? It's a lot about like, how can you ease the way you manage your, your infrastructure, your applications, your workloads? How do you, yeah, how do you kind of like open up new branches or new sites quickly? So I guess there are some some common themes, but, but at the same time, it can get quite, specific right like you talk like video management systems or you know whether it's like robotics and but, but those those application providers exist i mean so 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 the, the a thought experiment is amazon and microsoft which have gazillions of dollars and do a ton of market research both know that there's demand to have their cloud their apis their control plane on the premises mm. because that's why they have azure stack and outpost now enterprises don't want Azure Stack or Outpost. That's a, that's a pain because then they're still in the data center business. They want to get out of that. So if you could deliver the capabilities of Azure Stack and Outpost, especially in a multi-cloud way, enterprises just eat it up. Mm. It's just that nobody's, nobody's done that yet. Nobody's figured out how to, how to actually deliver that. And those applications will come. I mean, once that's opened up, I mean, I, I just think it's, it's going to be a, a waterfall. Yeah, it is. Because like, I think like what you're saying is that it is about bringing kind of bringing the cloud to the premises or closer but at the same time you can imagine like if you're an enterprise and you're like oh these applications just can't go to the cloud almost hearing something as cloud-like may put you off so maybe i'm just you know kind of yeah so that is the marketing challenge that is the marketing challenge that's but the the cloud had that in the early days Mm -hmm. remember i can't move anything off to the cloud i don't trust it well that's that's long gone so i just think this is just a shade of cloud and you're right i do think it's going to take the amazons and the microsofts and the verizons and the you know the vapor ios and the stls to explain to the world that you actually can extend your cloud journey Mm -hmm. to include a some or all of your currently on-premises workloads and create more business opportunity or cost savings or flexibility than you had before in the same way that you did with your workloads five years ago when you moved them to the cloud. Mm-hmm. It just, you're right, it's an education and a timing and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, and I feel, I mean, sometimes I feel guilty of it because, I mean, your your podcast is, you know, around Edge. We've got, you know, we've got some things around Edge and sort of like, are we... Are we not helping ourselves because we're, you know, we're promoting the edge band, but there's a reason I'm to I'm moving do... away from it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. How are you doing that? I'm trying to move the industry away from it. Yeah. And, and yeah, my, my podcast is named over the edge, <laughs> but I'm, I'm moving away from, from edge because I do think, I think it's confusing. And again, my customer's customer doesn't care. Mm. They just want automated checkout yeah. <laughs> for their retail stores at a cost they can afford and a flexibility that doesn't make them feel locked in. And once you kind of like unlock that, 
Like that's where the clarity is. That's where you say, like, that's when the enterprises go ding, 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 ding. Oh yeah, I definitely would buy that if it existed today. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm really enthused. It's taken us, I mean, it's taken me five years to get to that point where it seems so intuitive once you realize it. Like, yeah. oh, just go ask the customer, look at what they're spending on money today and figure out how to make that more convenient, faster, cheaper, you know, yeah, more flexible. And I think what you're saying though, like you've almost got a playbook there. You know, you're saying like, what you need to do is find out what are those applications that are stuck on-prem, that are stuck mm-hmm. with and can't move to a cloud environment. And they, there you go. That's, that's all you need to do. That's all. It I, is. That's it. And I, it. Well, it's there. And actually, it is, it is. That is not that hard. I mean, assembling the supply chain to deliver that to the premises without the on-premises or with, with minimum is, is complicated. Mm-hmm. But identifying what the opportunity is is easy. I mean, medical imaging. Like, why? Why is medical imaging not delivered in a different way? Why do you have to stick a giant computer inside every single medical imaging device? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's technically reason. I just think it's, it's security and, and flexibility and, you know, the inertia that the people that make these giant machines have and the commissions that the salespeople get when they sell them and the hospitals that have bought them that way. So I just think it's, it's – I do think it's an education thing. Mm, yeah. Yeah, But economics is what's going to drive it. Because if you can go to a hospital and say, look, I can save you a, th- a third of the cost on your radiology machines, they'd be like, show me all day long. Mm. And I think you can go through every industry like that. You can go through factories, you can go through retail stores, you can go through medical, you can go through casinos, you can go through public safety, and all that, that addresses. So let's wrap this up. So people know, how can they get a hold of you, Dahlia, and how can they find out more about STL Partners? So I think if you... Type in STL Partners Edge Computing. That should take you to. Uh, we've done we've done a lot of you know SEO maximization, so it should take you there. And but yeah, we're, I mean, to be honest, kind of like you, Matt, we're always looking to chat to people and just like love engaging the industry. So and we've got a ton of stuff we publish, like articles, and you know we've got the research stuff that we talked about. Webinar, we probably do a yeah, webinar. We've got a lot of really great stuff that. Uh, it's for free on your on your on your site. Yeah, your and, like, and good stuff. And always doing these kind of research programs. So I mean, I think kind of like you, who are really keen to speak to is the end customers, especially in the ISVs, who are really going to drive demand and understanding what their needs are and figuring out what those key those applications are that are stuck on prem, etc. So yeah, SEO Partners Edge. We we'll continue to develop things. Always looking for ideas and love it, love speaking to people. Dahlia, thank you very much for for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks. That does it for this episode of Over the Edge. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and a review and tell a friend. Over the Edge is made possible through the generous sponsorship of our partners at Dell Technologies. Simplify your edge so you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting dell.com.